Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mahyam Jam. Happy Friday. I hope you're doing very well. I am doing fantastically well, but I'm still thinking about Ukraine. Young women and girls growing up there, waking up every single morning, thinking about their safety. We all should think about global peace. You know, when I look into the Sustainable Development Goals, I think about goal number 16. How can we make sure we have peace in the world? We all know when there's a war, women and girls, disabled people who are struggling so much will be the most affected ones. I really hope if the world leaders are listening to this podcast, they can find a common ground for humanity. The world doesn't need war. Thank you for your love, your support and your kindness. Our girls are doing amazingly well. Each time you support I Am The Code, you're elevating young women and girls globally. We have been reaching out to our community in Ukraine. At the moment, the girls we work with there are safe, but you never know. So thank you for reaching out and thank you for supporting us. My co-hosts are coming back next week. They will be inviting their own guests and I hope we can listen to them and how they are progressing with their podcast. We also launched our digital platform and thank you so much for your feedback. It's really amazing. This is so historic as well. You know, I love pioneering things, doing things for boys and girls all across the world. I'm a very concerned woman in tech, especially if you don't have infrastructure, content and connectivity in this world. It's absolutely hard. I have been also exploring how to create platforms where people can have access to high quality courses and valid certificates. We all know education is expensive and not all young people have a debit card to pay the last mile of the education. I know what it's like to not have an education, to not have a support, a sponsor, infrastructure, somebody to guide you. I know. That's why we decided to make sure the I Am Deco digital platform is for everyone. My guest this week knows all about empowering young people, giving them skills, supporting them and mentoring them. She is absolutely amazing. Her name is Dr. Ibilola Amao. She's a Nigerian engineer, a principal consultant at the Lonadec Services in Nigeria. When her late father, a trained civil engineer, discovered that she loved science and mathematics. He encouraged her to pursue studies in this area. She's doing so well in preparing young people in Africa, particularly in Nigeria, to do well in STEM subjects. She feels the need to increase the quality of the graduates in Africa. Africa deserves quality people, quality workforce, people who are skilled and who are ready to be reskilled. The technology disruption is happening. We like it or not, in Africa, it is happening. We must be ready for it. Because if we are not ready as a continent to learn how to code, to train our people, it's going to be very difficult for us to join the global workforce. Our people will just not simply get jobs. They just won't. So I don't know why we can't train our people. I believe we cannot wait any longer to train our people to become coders. I loved my conversation with Ibilola. She's amazing. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I will see you on the other side. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for being here. It's Friday. I am excited to tell you who is on the call. She is all the way from Nigeria a top woman who's doing amazing work around creating jobs. She's a techie, but she's going to tell you all about what she does. My dear friend, Ibilola Amao, are you there? Yes, my dear friend, Mariam. Thank you for joining the I Am The Code podcast. You know, I always tell people why I invite them on the I Am The Code podcast. And so I'll tell you, maybe you don't know why I invited you, but there are two things that have really impressed me about the work you do. I remember you and I being invited to be a judge on a program to really get entrepreneurs funding, but also understand the innovations. And I was very impressed with your approach and asking questions, being very meticulous with that sort of leadership and a critical mind. I love that about you. 
And I think the second thing I've been really impressed is that your work in Nigeria. You are trying to make sure that people understand excellence in, in innovation and technology. And so I will let the young people hear more about the work you do. But I think the fact that you are really helping our continent, especially in Nigeria, to bring talent and make sure that people are learning about STEM subjects and all of that is really, really interesting. So welcome to the I Am The Code podcast, and I can't wait for us to get started. Thank you so much, Marie. I'm very happy to be here. So before we start, I know you're really keen to work on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. What goals do you like and what are you working on currently? Okay, fantastic. My favorite goals are goals 4, 5, 8, 9, and 17. Quality education, goal 4. Gender equality, goal 5. Decent work and economic growth, goal 8. Goal 9 and 17 are industry, innovation, and infrastructure, and the partnerships to achieve the goal. But I tend to focus on gender diversity in goal five, and I pull in quality education and decent work and economic growth for females in male-dominated sectors where science, technology, engineering, and maths is very critical. So those are my favorite um, sustainable development goals. And are you including this into your work currently? So in the business, we're focused on engineering technology and information management. But our social impact initiative goes towards domiciling, domesticating, and democratizing technology. And that requires that we empower youths, most especially the girls in STEM. So we identify, develop, and engage talent and empower them to be able to use technology appropriately to create better jobs and better standards of living. Wow. I mean, I've been really an admirer of yours and I've been really watching the work you do. But can you just tell the boys and girls listening to you right now, where has everything begun for you? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And how has the pandemic affected you? Okay, so I grew up as a young tomboy in Lagos, Nigeria. My late father was a civil and structural engineer, and then he became a king. So whilst he was a civil and structural engineer, he realized that I love to solve problems. I'm always having a critical and logical mindset towards things that present themselves to me. I was quite physical in terms of climbing trees, riding bicycles, and spending a lot of time outdoors. So even though my mother wanted me to stay in the kitchen and stay indoors and do what all the other girls were doing, I wanted to be out with the boys innocently, just exploring, catching butterflies, catching grasshoppers, putting them in bottles, and then planting beans, corn. So my late father allowed me to explore my mind and develop my mind outdoors as a child. And then I went to secondary school in Nigeria. I was one of the top maths and physics students. I came to England. And when I got to England, it was a real culture shock coming from Nigeria. Uh, my maths teacher didn't actually believe I could actually succeed he kind of discriminated against me and tried to convince me I would end up being a housewife in Africa. So I had to fight against the unconscious bias as a black African in a white Quaker school. And eventually I overcame that, uh, got into Queen Mary College, University of London. Oh, wow. My son actually go to Queen Mary's. Queen Mary College, University of London. Wow. So we're both alumni. Fantastic. Out of a class of 50, we were only two girls. And I got a first class in civil and structural engineering. Then I went to Bradford University for my PhD in computer-aided design and drafting. And I got that at age 23. And then my late father asked me to train to become a chartered engineer. So I spent three years working in a consulting company in Wakefield Westgate and I trained to become a chartered engineer, and then I returned to Nigeria where I set up my own company whilst I was on the youth service corps. That's amazing. Did you love doing the men works, basically, we called them that time? Thank God my late father asked me to train to become a chartered engineer. I spent 18 months in the design office and 18 months on site on the three-months program. 
And I realized I preferred being in the design office, working on my laptop and going to site periodically, whereas some people prefer to be on site most of the time and visiting the office periodically. So training to become chartered gave me the opportunity to discover which side of engineering I was passionate about. And I realized that using the computer and transferring knowledge was an area that I felt very passionate and determined about. Wow, that's amazing. You have been traveling quite a lot. How has the pandemic affected you in your business and being in Nigeria? So I got caught up in London during the pandemic and I was there for 20 months as opposed to spending one month in London and one month in Lagos. So I gained 19 months being in London during the pandemic. But the good news is the business in Nigeria moved into working from home mode because the oil companies in Nigeria actually decided that all their staff should work from home. So automatically, we had to uh, mobilize our, our resources, human resources, to work from home. So we've provided them with internet access and power supply support uh, so that they can work effectively from home. So staying in London and working remotely was not too much of a problem because the staff in Nigeria were working from home. And most of our processes have been digitized and automated. So right now we are still working from home. That's really amazing. That's one of the things I like about you. You adapt very quickly. Where did you learn this process for being adaptable? Okay, so the good news is I moved around first when I was young. Uh, at age 10, I went to boarding school in Nigeria, which was far from home, about 150 kilometers from where I live. So I had to get used to no daddy, no mommy, and not seeing my parents for a minimum of six to eight weeks in a term. That toughens you up, that compels you to be very flexible, and that makes you more conscious of people around you becoming your support system. So I had to quickly learn how to make friends. I had to learn quickly how to take good care of myself because I was more or less a spoiled child who had everything done for her at home. I learned to wash my clothes. I learned to take care of my provisions. I learned to eat at the right time. And I learned to take care of myself. So that's some flexibility. Then when I was 15, my parents moved me from Nigeria to England. And then I had to move from a very hot country to a country that was going into the winter season. And then I had my first experience in boarding school in England, being a minority in terms of female in the male-dominated classes and a black girl in a predominantly white Quaker boarding school, 18 miles from Cambridge. So I had to adapt to the weather. I had to adapt to the food. I had to adapt to the society norms and the culture. So I had to be flexible. Then going to University of London, I had to adapt to living alone in a city, uh, having lived in a very sheltered life in boarding school in a very quaint town. And in Nigeria, I had to take charge of living on my own in a city as a, an undergraduate. So that takes a lot of flexibility. And then for my PhD, I moved from London to Bradford. I had to be flexible. I moved to a predominantly Asian community. In a, in a much colder part of England, I had to adapt again. So it's, And then getting a job in a male-dominated sector as an engineer, I had to adapt again. So I've had to adapt as and when the situation arises. And I think that is something I really, really enjoy doing because I have a learning and development mindset. So I'm always learning new things and adapting on a daily basis. Your leadership style, the way you put things together, the way you educate uh, young Nigerians, but young Africans as well, is really remarkable. Where did you learn to be this professional and highly knowledgeable in the work you do, very professional? Do you mind sharing that with our girls and boys listening to you right now? Okay, yes, I would like to share it. I think going for a, a PhD, it requires a lot of focus and you need to have a very curious mindset. You need to understand what has been done before you take on that topic. So you do a lot of research and literature review, and you have to ask questions. And then you have to craft your thesis topic, something you want to focus on for almost three years, 
and dig deep into and get as much facts, data, statistics, information around this topic and gain mastery in that particular area. So gaining mastery and developing expertise in a particular area and becoming uh, more or less a specialist in a particular area and having a core competence in a particular area is what a PhD and a research program does for you. The level of excellence expected from a PhD is so high that you don't get a PhD except you really work very hard for it. It requires a lot of focus and determination. And even writing your thesis requires that you're exceptionally meticulous because your research supervisor will keep pushing back your work until you get it near perfect or almost excellent. So that kind of raises the bar. So you really, really need to work very hard. And then you need to have a very humble spirit because sometimes you think you've done so well. I mean, for me, being a first-class student and thinking I was going to do my best as a PhD, having my supervisor tell me that there was a huge gap in my thought process was something that was very humbling. And him being kind enough to point me towards research work that had been done in the United States of America, in Canada, in Australia, in Asia, helped me build a global outlook and a global perspective. But even if you're a first-class student in the University of London, you don't really know what's going on in MIT, um, Stanford, Harvard, top universities in other parts of the world. So I got to understand that it is not okay to be a local champion in a particular country or a particular place. You need to benchmark yourself uh, against other people in other geographies and other time zones. So I think I developed a global outlook to life and I kept auditing myself and reinventing myself and developing myself. So I'm never satisfied with being the best in anything. I'm always looking for somebody or something that is better than what I know so that I can improve. So I'm always in a continuous improvement mode and in a continuous learning and development mode. What do you think about excellence? You use the word excellence a lot in your wordings, on your LinkedIn profile, everywhere. Why do you believe in excellence? Okay, so I worked for 30 years, a multi-billion dollar, zero tolerance for mediocrity, oil and gas industry, where a simple error could be catastrophic and cost billions of dollars. So safety and excellence is the watchword in the oil and gas industry. You don't want an oil or gas facility exploding and becoming a disaster or catastrophe. So continuous quality assurance and quality control is very important. Continuous improvement is also very important. And reassessing to get excellence is so critical and fundamental in the oil and gas industry that even going beyond my PhD, I had to learn again in the oil and gas industry that there are even higher standards that I have to comply with. I think you and I have something in common. I am so allergic to mediocrity. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you and I are aligned on that level. But let me ask you, you know, our podcast is a classroom. And I know you are a teacher. You are always educating people, especially young people who they always say good things about you. You know, what can you teach to our girls and boys today? Okay, I would love to teach the girls and the boys as well the power of self-worth, discernment, and determination. Self-worth for me is something each and every one of us must look out for. Each human being is designed and specially crafted by God Almighty. So I think everybody must always look inwards to try to discover their potential, their talent, and their passion. And they should understand that they're uniquely created and beautifully made. So we are exceptionally good at something, at least one thing. Some of us are good at many things, but I think everybody must understand that they're exceptional in at least one thing. And they need to try to discover what that is and have a sense of self-worth. If you have a sense of self-worth, it'll be very difficult for anybody anywhere in the world to put you down because you know who you are and you are confident that you have something that is pretty tangible and is worthy to others. 
So that is something that I would like to leave with every boy or every girl. You must have a sense of self-worth. You are special to your parents. You're special to your family. You're special to your community. You're special to your nation. You're special to the world. So you need to discover how and make it work for you. Now, the second one is discernment. Discernment is able to decide what is good and what is bad and to have a sense of understanding of what will help you achieve your goals and your purpose. So you must know what your purpose is from your self-worth and you must have a goal. So you set a goal for yourself maybe in the next five years or in the next 10 years. And this is where role models come to play. And you may have a mentor or a coach, you may not, but you must have a, a role model, somebody you look up to that you like the way they do things. And then as you journey through life, you must use the discerning eye lenses or the discerning spirit or the discerning mindset to choose what is bad and what is good, to choose what is right and what is wrong, and always take the best that will get you to your journey. So you don't take what is bad, you take what is good, and you don't take what is wrong, you take what is right. So it is this discerning spirit that helps you navigate through the journey of life and helps you get the best for yourself, your family, your community, and the world at large. So don't get distracted by bad things, negative things, uh, destructive things. Just focus on those better things that are going to get you on your journey faster. Then determination is something that you need to have, which is Life will throw a lot of lemons at you. You need to keep making different flavors of lemonade. You need to take every issue, problem, and challenge and convert it into an opportunity, a project, an initiative, or an activity that gives you a boost of energy and adds to your self-worth. So we must be extremely determined to succeed and to excel because we are created so uniquely, there's something so special about each and every one of us. So we must be determined to show forth that uniqueness and that perfection that has been deposited in us. So we must be determined and we must make success out of every situation we find ourselves in. So doctor, let me just go back now to your personal life. You know, I know that you have been a very educated person. You have excelled. I can see you have worked really hard. Who has changed your life? Who is your mentor? Who has guided you to be who you are today? Okay, thank you so much. I've had different mentors. My first mentor, I would say, was my late father, who encouraged me to be the best I could be and didn't box me into the kitchen like my mother wanted me to. And my late father was a civil and structural engineer. He could see that I loved maths and physics. And I'm sure he just realized this young girl, if she's well-guided, will probably make a good engineer. And he didn't bother him that I was a girl in Africa. He allowed me to become an engineer. So that was my first mentor. And then I had other mentors. I had a maths teacher in Nigeria who really, really encouraged me to excel in maths. When I got back to Nigeria, my first mentor was engineer doctor, Mrs. Olato Kumboshomolu, who gave me my first opportunity in the oil and gas industry. She's a female engineer. She gave me a note to get an opportunity as a consultant in an oil and gas company. And then there was a gentleman called engineer Shola Alabi. So I have a female mentor. I have male mentors as well because I'm in a male-dominated industry. So I, I think you will have different mentors at different times, and they don't all have to be the same sex. They don't have to be the same age. So as we journey through life, we have different mentors. I must say I would call Sir Richard Branson and late Steve Jobs my mentors, even though I have never met them. The I have studied so much about them through their autobiographies that I see them as mentors. So I don't think you need to meet all your mentors. You can actually learn from their writings and their lifestyle by reading up about them, watching videos about them, listening to their podcasts. I think those could be your virtual mentors because right now I know post-pandemic, we have two lifestyles. We have the real lifestyle and we have the virtual lifestyle. 
So we can have real mentors and virtual mentors. So those are people who have impacted my life positively. That's so beautiful what you said about Sarisha Branson and, and Steve Jobs, where you consider them as your mentor, but because you also have a curious mind, you actually went and take some books and listen to the podcast. I think sometimes we think mentoring need to be a physical activity face-to-face, but actually, like you said, you can really listen to people's voices or check the YouTube channels. I mean, you have been doing amazing work in mentoring young Nigerians. Can you just share your experience? How did this come about and what is your experience in training and mentoring young adults in your country? Okay, so when I returned to Nigeria, having gone through a PhD in computer-aided design and drafting, I went back to Nigeria and realized Nigerians were producing drawings on drawing boards. So I decided I had to do something about it. And that's how domiciling, domesticating, and democratizing technology became one of my core areas of concern. So I was fortunate to have been engaged in an oil and gas company for six months, which turned out to be 10 years and 10 months, to train and upskill Nigerians in the use of computer-aided design and drafting systems. And I realized from that experience that I really enjoyed identifying, developing, and engaging talent. And from developing talent, I left the business after 10 years and 10 months to establish as a full-blown independent consulting company. So Lonadec became a full-blown independent consulting company after being incubated as an in-house consulting firm for 10 years and 10 months. And we had a contract from a multinational company to employ some engineers, and we placed an advert in the newspapers. And out of over a 1,000 CVs, curriculum vitaes, We were only able to shortlist about 123 that met the requirements. And from the 123 we assessed them, we were able to shortlist 26. And interviewing these 26 engineers over a period of three days with expatriates from Paris, Milan, and their fabrication yard in Port Harcourt, I realized there was something fundamentally faulty in the educational system in Nigeria. Engineers were being taught the theory of engineering, but they were not taught the practicality and the application of engineering. They didn't have enough field trips. They didn't have enough site visits. They didn't have enough think out of the box, case studies and projects and coursework. So their thinking and their critical reasoning faculties had not been very well developed. And that gave me such a huge burden. I decided that a group of us in Lonadec will start a program, a career counseling, industry awareness, and youth empowerment program, which we coined Vision 2020 because we wanted it to be a 15-year project starting in 2006. And coincidentally, the 15-year ended on the 31st of December 2020. Through that program, we were able to expose over a 100,000 STEM talent to the different career opportunities, technical and non-technical, in the oil and gas industry. But about four years before the program came to an end, I actually identified the fact that there were too few ladies and too few girls in the basket of 100,000. So I decided to focus on girls in STEM, women in engineering, women in energy, and women in entrepreneurship. But what we've come to realize is that catching them young and exposing young children to videos about the oil and gas industry, role models in the oil and gas industry, graphics and adverts that show girls with a hard hat could actually encourage a young girl to be bold and to break the bias of her culture and the limitation, which is primarily by her mother. Because most mothers believe that a female engineer will not get a good husband, will not get married, will not have children, will be frustrated. So we have to debunk that myth and prove that their role models, we have female role models 
who are in male-dominated sectors, they're leaders, they're running businesses, they're successful, they have a work-life balance, they have a family, they have children, and it's possible, but they need a good support system. So what Lonadec has been doing, even as a business that is focused on engineering technology and information management, is work extremely hard on her social impact initiatives and corporate social responsibility, which is targeted at empowering youths and spending a lot of time disseminating information to secondary school students and even primary school students through training STEM teachers and STEM career counselors. Because we realize that there are too few female maths, physics, and chemistry teachers, and there are too few female STEM career counselors. And most parents in Africa don't trust leaving their girls with male teachers or male career counselors. So there's so many problems that we're trying to solve through our social impact initiative and our corporate social responsibility at Lonadec Global Services. Wow, Ooh, that's unbelievable. I mean, you are really tackling two major things here. The you know, make a business, making profit, but also the social impact where you are educating, informing and transforming lives, which is really, really fantastic. Wow, that's really beautiful. I didn't know that about your organization, but it's absolutely comprehensive. As a person, I enjoy the social impact of the corporate social responsibility a lot more these days than the real business. Because when you see the twinkle in the eyes of a young child who is inspired to break the barrier. It gives you so much joy. It's worth more than a million dollars. I would also say when you meet a person you empowered 25 years ago as a captain of industry or a leader in their area of core competence, and they're able to say, thank you so much for helping me catch a vision that transformed my life. It gives you so much joy. It's worth more than a million dollars. You got me invited to some of your activities and uh, I mean, it was so overwhelming. They were all saying thank you to you, some of your students of uh, of 30 years ago. It's, it's really beautiful. But let me go back to the workforce. You know, training and skilling is really very constrained in, in sub-Saharan Africa. Are you looking to develop your company and your program across the entire continent and maybe even beyond Africa? Absolutely. With the Women Empowerment Initiatives, I am fortunate to be a member of Vital Voices, We Connect, and IWEC. I have been exposed to global supply chains in their supplier diversity programs. So I've been a beneficiary of the Procter & Gamble, Logitech, Olam, IBM, different supplier diversity programs, Bank of America. These have really helped me have a global reach. And then on the Microsoft, LinkedIn, and GitHub empowerment program, which we're currently running. Uh, we have over 10,000 Africans in Africa and in diaspora being digitally upskilled. They're located in at least 15 African countries. So we're already working with different Africans in African countries, developing their capacity with the hope of helping them take, at some point, their ideas into bankable business plans. Because I have actually realized that there are not enough jobs in Africa. We need to help people become subject matter experts and entrepreneurs so they can run their small, medium enterprises. And I'm sure, Mariam, you know about that with I Am The Code, that if we can empower these young ones to have a mastery and expertise in a particular skill set, they can actually become a STEMpreneur, a techpreneur, or an intrapreneur, and they can work from home, work from anywhere, and provide services remotely, virtually. And that really is where I would love to see future Africans. Once they gain mastery and expertise in their areas of core competence, and we digitally upskill them, they could work remotely anywhere in the world. They don't need to cross the Sahara Desert or get on a boat to cross the channel to go to Europe. They can be very, very comfortable in Africa and work remotely. 
No, I agree. You know, you and I are aligned in the fact that we need to upskill our people. But you are creating programs. Not many people do that in the continent. And I think you and I had several conversations about the social aspect. But the other thing I was going to ask you is the leadership part. You know, you really want people to be good, professional, educated Africans. Are you doing anything around coaching, making sure they turn up on time, they do their CVs on time? They ask for the right money. Are you also doing that sort of training to make sure we have good players in the market? Absolutely. So if you check the people in our ecosystem, they're different. We are deliberate about professionalism and ethics. So one thing we stand for and one thing I stand for is zero tolerance for bribery and corruption. We do not cope or tolerate lackadastical characters. We are very willing to fire people who do not conform to the culture. And we have well-stated cultural principles at Lonodec. Our cultural principles at Lonodec are clearly stated in our guiding principles. The first is excellence, collaboration, integrity, innovation, dedication, respect, inclusiveness, empowerment, recognition, efficiency, and health. So once you are within our ecosystem, we make you understand that the world is a global village and there's nothing Nigerian about what we do. We are playing globally. So you need to learn to compete globally. So your soft skills, your interpersonal skills, your ability to work within a team and meet deadlines and show up at the right time, at the right place and be fully present is pretty fundamental to be successful in life. And we let people know that it's not, you don't need to be successful for a job. And if you want to compete globally, you must continuously benchmark yourself against global best practices and have a continuous learning and development attitude. So you are upskilling and upgrading yourself. I love that. So powerful. Let me ask you, you know, at I Am The Code, we teach young women and girls how to code. And our goal is to give them the skills they need, as you know, so they can join the global workforce. Now we're talking about jobs. But, you know, this includes technology, innovation, critical thinking, all of the stuff you just mentioned. But what are the skills you have you know, as my friend and as a doctor that you can give to these boys and girls? Because clearly you work so hard to be where you are. You're very meticulous, very disciplined. You speak very well. You understand your subject matters. What are the skills you have that our audience can learn from you? What can they take forward from this podcast? I would say the core for a continuous learning and development individual must be humility. You must have a humble spirit and you must be willing to learn from anybody. On a daily basis, whoever you encounter has something to offer. Even if the person is not anywhere near as successful as you are, the person has something, a gift in, a unique characteristics you can learn from. So always try to learn at least one thing from anybody you come in contact with. I've learned a lot from Mariam as well. And I, I'll leave that for another day. I like her focus and her dedication and her hard work. So I'll tell, that's one. Then the second thing is you need to decide what you're wired to excel at and give it a lot of time. So you have to continuously work on your area of core competence so that you achieve excellence, expertise, and mastery. You must be known as a master of at least one thing. And then you must always share knowledge because as you share knowledge, you learn more and you also improve as you share knowledge. So that is so important. And then I will say having a truthful and honest network that will give you truthful and brutal feedback is so important. I've been so blessed with four lovely sisters. I have a brother, but I have four lovely sisters who tell me the bitter truth and the truth as it is. So they will always keep me in check and let me know how well or how poorly I'm doing in any area of my life. And then above all, you need a good support system. So whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's your colleagues, you must have a group of people you can count on. That emboldens you to do even more because you know there's always a fallback position. And then I would say that we must always upskill ourselves digitally. And that's why I love Mariam for the I Am The Code. Everybody needs to be 
digitally literate so that you can collaborate across geographies and time zones. You can do things at a faster, more efficient speed and your performance will be enhanced. Oof, my goodness, you are really teaching us so many things here, doctor, today. But I know the other thing I just want to ask you, you are planting seeds for mastery. I love the word mastery because I love people being master in their own craft. What are you doing right now in your job, in your family, in the business to plant seeds of mastery? Oh, I'm planting seeds of mastery every day. So in my company, we ensure that every staff is on a personal development program, is on a career development program and is on a professional development program with an association, institution, or society that is specific to their discipline. And then we have a very strict recruitment process whereby you have to pay dues and prove that you are committed as a professional. And then for everybody in my ecosystem, Mariam can testify to this. I'm always sharing free courses or running free webinars. I'm basically sharing knowledge all the time. Sharing knowledge gives me great joy. And then I'm also trying to work with young girls in STEM and trying to encourage them to overcome the bias. And then we also allow interns come and spend three to six months with us in our company. But we bring them in to do the best they can and we listen to them because we expect them to disrupt our system. So it's mentoring and reverse mentoring. So I have learned a lot from reverse mentoring. So even though I mentor a lot of girls, whether in girls in STEM or tech women or women in engineering, I also benefit from them because of the opportunity to be mentored in reverse. So there are two sides to mentoring these days. The younger generation have something to offer, the older generation, and people from different backgrounds have different things to share. So I would say that the world needs fruitful and vibrant ecosystems, and we need to build communities where knowledge is shared, and we are stretched and expanded, and our capacity, capability, and competence is being built systematically because we are humble enough to listen in and to absorb new ideas and new knowledge to be transformed on a daily basis. Do you think in Africa we have problem of sharing? Because you and I maybe understand the power of sharing. We don't work in silo because, you know, we don't have all the answers. If we had all the answers today, the girls in Kakuma refugee camp listening to you right now will have probably a different life. Do you think we don't share too much in Africa? What shall we do to make sure that we are embedding sharing and work collaboration together? The greatest problem we have in Africa is we don't invest in knowledge acquisition and the democratization of technology. We don't read enough. We don't share enough. People tend to hide their ideas and hoard their skills. And I don't think we as Africans have actually realized how destructive that is. Because if you look at the principle of teamwork, together each achieves more. And then the benefits of partnerships collaboration, strategic alliances, joint ventures, consortia efforts, the multiplier effect of people coming together to do things together is so phenomenal that we are robbing ourselves of those benefits in Africa. So I really would like to encourage more Africans. If you can't read, then get onto podcasts. This is a podcast, for example. So we need to continuously acquire knowledge. We should watch YouTube's and we should not waste too much time on non-productive social media. There is social media where you can learn from by following role models and captains of industry. But faffing around on social media is of no good to anybody. We need to use our time wisely. Time management is very important. But we need to be learners and we must be sharers of knowledge. And we must learn to collaborate more in Africa to be able to overcome our handicaps. I can hear my voice in your voice. <laughs> it's so beautiful. You're always talking about other Africans. Why do you champion your fellow Africans? Oh, I believe that Africans have a unique culture. And historically, we had a system that worked. 
And I honestly think that the way we think needs to be harnessed. I mean, the African proverb says that we share, we care, and we work together, and we have more together. And this is something I think we've lost along the lines where everybody tries to go solo. So I'm always trying to reach out. Once I identify talent, I like to develop it and engage the talent maximally. I'm so excited about potential and I'm able to help people see the bigger picture. So I love to work with young people and paint the global picture for them and then help them stretch themselves uh, and I'd like to work through the five E's of national development and socioeconomic transformation, which is education, enlightenment, engagement, empowerment, and entrepreneurship. And I have seen so many unassuming young Africans become global talent. So we take local talent and we make them global assets. And do you do this for women as well? I know that you are a very gender equality-focused person. Do you do this with your fellow women in Africa? Absolutely. Because I was a young girl child, a girl in STEM, I work extensively and I give a lot of my time, resources, and treasure to developing girls in STEM, women in engineering, women in energy, women in entrepreneurship. And that's something I am very passionate about. I was just saying earlier that, you know, when this podcast started, you were one of the first people I asked if my voice was good. And you said to me, oh, you can go and level up the music. <laughs> I remember you giving me advice. Yeah, I remember this is a long time ago. Now we have over 90 episodes. So I will be always grateful for that, uh, for that counseling you gave me from the beginning. Let me just ask you one more thing, doctor, before we let you go. What are your daily routines? I know you are a very busy person, but you sound very fit and very active. What are your daily routines? Okay, I'm one person who does her domestic chores herself. So I wake up in the morning, I have my quiet time, more like uh, study the Bible, read the scriptures, meditate on leadership nuggets, plan my day, and then I do a lot of my domestic chores myself. I still make my bed myself, I still wash my dishes myself, I potter around the house with plants, cleaning up, and, and I walk around the office and I'm always moving around. I'm a very restless person. I drive myself as well a lot, so I'm always on the move. Is that why you are so fit? I just, I'm very restless and I love to solve problems. So anytime I see something that is in the wrong place, I move it around and I keep moving up and down when I'm not sitting down behind my laptop. Oh, wonderful. I mean, we have just got one more question before we let you go. You are such an important person to me personally, and I'm really happy that we're having this conversation. I hope Africa, we can hear this podcast, all of women, girls. I hope we can collaborate together. But is it anything you want to share with boys and girls on this podcast? Um, my mom used to say hard work doesn't kill. So I'm a firm believer in hard work, discipline, and diligence. I also believe we must always stretch ourselves and aspire for excellence. And we must never think anything is too difficult. We must have a very positive mindset. We need to reach out to people who have gone ahead of us, like mentors, coaches, have fantastic role models. And I must say volunteering is something that I would advise because then you get to see the other side of the coin. You get to meet people you probably would never have met before. And you learn a lot. And I think it's better to get out of your comfort zone now and again and explore. So volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. You'll learn something. And learning is always positive. Well, Dr. Ibilola Amao, my sister, somebody that I really love. And thank you so much for your service. Before we close, I want to appreciate you. I want to appreciate you for the work you are doing for our continent. You could have stayed in the West uh, earn a lot of money in the oil and gas industry, but you went back home in Nigeria to support our new generation and the next generation. So on behalf of I Am The Code, myself as your peer and your sister in the continent, thank you for coming on this podcast. Boys and girls, if you are listening to Dr. Ibilola Amao, please check her out. She's the principal of Lonadek in Nigeria, and she's always mentoring, supporting, and helping out. Check her on LinkedIn, on social media. She's everywhere. Doctor, have a good afternoon. And thank you so much. Keep solving problems for us in Africa. We need you. Thank you so much, Lady Mariam. It's such a pleasure and an honor to be on your podcast. I wish all the young children out there the very best. And please connect with me. I'd love to see you at the top.
Thank you so much. And where can they find your social media? On LinkedIn, um, Ibilola Amau. Twitter, Ibilola Amau. Facebook, we have a woman and girls in STEM Africa. And on Instagram, Ibilola Amau. I look forward to connecting with you. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Have a good afternoon now. Dr. Ibilola Amau is a wise woman. She is truly an asset for our continent. I hope you have seen that and heard that today. I wish African leaders can hear more from her because she has something to say. She is wired for problem solving. She's an engineer, total engineer, and she has got the answers. Let's collaborate, work together to find a solution for our continent. You know, one of the things I've learned this week, ladies and gentlemen, is that you must trust yourself, only yourself. In Senegal, my country, they say, don't even trust your pant, because your pant can let you down. But trust yourself. You are your story. You can create your own story. Nobody else knows you more than you know yourself. Detoxify your mind. Be strong, be resilient. Go out there and try meditation. I meditate every single day. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. You can do it. If you put your mind into it, you can absolutely do it. But you need to have the mental flexibility to learn and learn and learn. But also do the hard work. There's no sense of entitlement here, as I always say on this podcast. You have to work hard, apply yourself, and go for it. I never give up. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mahim Shah. What a wonderful day to be alive. Please share this podcast and subscribe to it. If you are in Nigeria right now listening to my voice, you must subscribe to this podcast and download it and listen to what Dr. Ibilola Amawo have said. It's so important for you to listen to this and apply it. We're a very small team at I Am The Code, totally dedicated to making the world a better place by creating inspiring content for people who want to do better and be better. We all have the ability to do better in life. We do. We just need to go for it and try. Remember to donate to the I Am The Code Foundation. Every amount counts. And we count on you. We count on your generosity. Please help us move this amazing foundation forward. Before I finish this podcast, I want to thank the amazing team behind I Am The Code. They're doing wonderfully well to make this podcast go forward. I want to thank especially Max Smith, who have been helping me edit this podcast. I'm a proud producer of this podcast. So thank you so much, Max, for helping me every single week. I also want to thank the graphic designers, Kaz Kapusinyak and Mark Hisson. Amazing guys, really wonderful people. My entire team, in fact, are really wonderful. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. And I will see you very soon. Remember, we can transform our world. The Sustainable Development Goals are here. Learn about them. Adopt them in your school, in your business. Let me know what you think. Thank you so much for being loyal. Thank you for listening to me every Friday. And I will see you next week. Thank you and goodbye.